Good morning, Full Life Family. How's, how's everybody doing this morning? You guys good? Good to see you. Man, you, got, you made a great choice today, man. You're in church this morning. I'm so thankful that you have come on this weekend right before 4th of July. And you could be anywhere else. You could be on the lake. You could be, you know, camping. But you're here. So give yourselves a hand this morning. You're in the, you're in the building. Can you do me another favor? Can you help me welcome those who are watching us online? Come on, let's give them a hand as well. We're so glad you're tuning in today. So it's been a great weekend of, uh, of sun and some rain yesterday, amen? So we're in a series called, Here Com- uh, what am I saying, Here Comes the Bride? That's the title of today's message. You asked for it. And so we've been on this journey answering some questions that you are biblic- giving biblical answers to some questions you've, you uh, told us back at Easter. And so we've been talked about already, Ron talked about families, how you can uh, be the family of God and, and just how you can deal with blended families. A great sermon. If you want to go back and, and watch that, you can on our YouTube page. Josh Aguilar did a fantastic job talking about strategies that the enemy comes at you with and then your strategy to combat him. How many know God's word is a great strategy to defeat the enemy? Amen. And so today we're going to continue a four-week study of the end times. And so there's a lot of questions were asked on that survey concerning the end times. And last week I started out talking to you about the why. Why is Jesus coming back. He promised he would. And why? Not so he can judge the world. That's part of it. But because he wants to be with you. How many know he wants to be with you? He loves you. He died for you. And so he, he's looking forward to coming back and getting you. And so, you know, I, I realized in a series like this that a lot of people, when they think about the end of the, of the age and they think about the end times, you can get a little nervous, a little frightened at times. Anybody ever been frightened by that, that thought of the end times? And it's happened to me. But I, want, I, want, I just want to help you relax just a little bit and say, folks, if you're in Christ, you got nothing to worry about. Amen? Because... God loves you. He, he died on the cross for you. We just celebrated the fact that he went to the cross. And so you can have complete confidence that he's with you always. Amen. And so this, this sermon series is not meant to scare you. It's actually meant to give you courage, to give you confidence, to give you hope. But also, I will say this, this part today, there is a wake-up call. Amen. How many you know we need wake-up calls every once in a while? Are y'all going to help me preach this morning? So this wake-up call is, again, it's not out of, out of hatred. It's, not out of, it's out of love that Jesus says, I want to extend to you an invitation. We're going to talk about that a little more in a little bit. But what I'd like to do is read again the passage we read last week to, to remind you of why he came or why he's coming back. And then we're going to go into the book of Revelation just a little bit. I'm going to give you kind of a a flyover of the book of Revelation. Because I know sometimes when you try to read Revelation, it's like, I just have no clue what that book's about. I'm going to try to help you a little bit, right? Amen? So let's read John 14. And I want you to notice the first thing that he says. What does he say? Do not let your hearts be troubled. He said, don't don't be afraid. Don't worry. I, I realize you can get that way. But don't be troubled. And here's why. You believe in God. You believe also in me. And then he says this. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? In other words, I'm making this promise to you. Hold on to it. And here's what he says. And if I go and prepare a place for you, everybody say this with me. I will come back. And I'll take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. Isn't that good news today? That Jesus has made a promise, and then we believe he's going to deliver on that promise. And here's the reason why. Because, if you, I don't know if you realize it or not, but a third of the Bible is about prophecy. And the good news is that all of the prophecies up to this point that, that we've seen, uh, there, many of them have been fulfilled. The only ones that haven't are yet to come. So how many of you know the Bible is a reliable source? It, it predicted Jesus' birth, his death. It predicted, I mean, it's, there's so much there. And so what we're going to say is, you know what? If I can believe that the, all the prophecies that have been fulfilled in the past, I can believe they're going to be fulfilled in the future. And I'm looking forward to that. Anybody looking forward to that? And so 
we're going to study this idea of, of the revelation, and I want to, I want to start here. The, the Bible, uh, the book, book of Revelation is not primarily a book of tribulation. It's not a, a book about dragons and beasts. It really is a book of, of what, the, what the title says. And the word for revelation in the original language, the Greek language in the New Testament, is apocalypso, and it really means an unveiling. In other words, if you had some blinders on your eyes and you couldn't see very well, there's a unveiling, and for you to understand truth. So some people may say, well, you know, Revelation, it's confusing. You know, I don't believe God wants it to be that way to you, but if you'll look at it through the right lens, I think it can be like, oh, wow. And that's my, my goal today, is to help you see Revelation a little bit differently. Are y'all with me so far? So the, the first chapter of Revelation is, you know, John is one of the original 12, and so he has an encounter with, with the glorified Jesus. Jesus comes to him in his glorified body. I mean, it's, and it kind of takes John by, by surprise, and he kind of has this moment of fainting. But then John, Jesus says to John, I want you to listen to me. Listen up real good. I'm going to give you some revelation. And I want you to tell people. I want you to write it down, everything that I tell you, because I want people to know me. And so the very first chapter, the very first verse, it says, Revelation is the revelation of who? Anybody know? The revelation of Jesus Christ. And so even though we have the tribulation, we have all that stuff, it really is about us understanding and knowing our Savior better. How many of you want to get to know him better? I do. I want to know Jesus better. And so the very first chapter kind of sets the tone. And then chapters 2 and 3 start this journey of basically six events that happen in the book of Revelation. I promised you this is a flyover, and so you got to stay with me, okay? So you have the very first thing is we call the church age, which you and I are still in the middle of, okay? And chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation give us an account of seven churches that Jesus spoke to. He specifically talked to these seven churches. And they're little churches that were, that were around back in that day in the area that's now Turkey. Okay? And he has a message for each seven of those churches. Now, we're going to come back to this in a minute and talk about how, as the bride of Christ, this message he gave to those churches can help us prepare ourselves for Christ's return. Are you all with me so far? Again, I'm doing a lot here, but I want to make sure that you're, you're, you're with me as we go. And so that first event is this church age, which, again, we're still in the middle of. And then, as last week we said, there's going to be a moment called the rapture. And the word rapture itself, folks, is not in the Bible, but the concept is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we read it last week, the Bible says that Christ will descend, and he will, with a, a, a trumpet and with a loud voice, right? Remember that? And the Bible says that we as a church will be caught up. There's where we get the word rapture. That word rapture literally means snatched away. It's a Greek word called hapazo. And so we're going to be snatched up, and we're going to be with Christ forever. Are you glad for that this morning? And so this church age ends... And then the rapture happens. So the reason we believe that is because in Revelation chapter 4, um, remember 2 and 3 is all about the letters to the churches. In Revelation 4, verse 1, I want to read this to you, and I want you to notice this. And you see the similarities between that and 1 Thessalonians 4. Watch this. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I heard first that I had, had first heard speaking to me was like a trumpet. Remember 1 Thessalonians 4? What did it say? With a trumpet and with a loud voice. And what does he say? Come up here, and I will show you what must take place. So if the fourth chapter of Revelation, I believe, is parallel to 1 Thessalonians 4, where the church is raptured, Caught up, snatched away to be with Jesus. Does that make sense? Now, here's the reason I believe that. Because from that point, if you read the rest of the book of Revelation, 
The church, the word church is never mentioned again. It's mentioned 18 times between chapters 1 and 3, but after chapter 3, it's never mentioned again. You know why I believe that? I believe because the church is, we're out of here. Is that good news today? So the reason it's good news is because the next event after the church age and the rapture is what we call the tribulation. Has anybody ever heard of the tribulation before? You ever read about it? So the Bible talks a lot about the tribulation. In the book of Daniel, it's mentioned. Uh, Paul talks about it in several places. And then, of course, the book of Revelation between chapter 6 and verse 19 describes it in detail. Now, folks, I don't know if you realize that this is going to be the worst, the worst time in history of the world. It's going to be sheer horror is what it is. And so we believe that God says, I'm getting the church out of here before, the, revela- before the, the tribulation. Now, here's the reason. Most of that seven years, well, actually all of it, is a time of judgment that Christ judges the earth. Now, we said this, established this last week. When Christ went to the cross, the Bible says that he atoned for our sins. And that word atonement means he took the wrath of God upon himself. So if you and I are in Christ, guess what? He doesn't want to subject you to wrath anymore. Amen? Are you glad for that today? And so I believe that before the tribulation starts, Jesus is getting us out of here. That's good news to somebody today, isn't it? So this word tribulation, it really is a a time of trouble. It's a time of judgment. And it starts out, once the church is gone, there's a, a, a person, a man Man is, is, is the Antichrist. You've ever heard, you may have heard of the word Antichrist. And so the Antichrist is going to emerge on the scene. And here's really kind of what he's going to be like. He's going to be one of those charismatic people who can make a lot of promises. You ever heard anybody like that? You've seen anybody like that? They, just have the, they make all these promises, and then they kind of bait and switch you. Anybody ever had anybody bait and switch you? Well, that's the kind of guy this guy is, the Antichrist. Because the first three and a half years, here's what he's going to promise. He says, let's, let's make this peace treaty between Israel and the Palestinians. And how many you know that's been an ongoing war for a long time? The old te- it started in the Old Testament, right? With, with uh, Isaac and Ishmael. That's where it all started, that, the conflict. And so we've had that for all of these years, this fight over that little piece of land in the Middle East. Isn't that crazy that that little piece of land has been the the subject of so much war and so much conflict, and the whole world watches? Is that a coincidence, folks? Not at all. And so what's going to happen is he's going to promise Israel, I'm going to help you build, rebuild your temple. You see, the, the temple was destroyed. Anybody know when the temple was destroyed? Any historical people in here? 70 A.D. That's how long... Israel has been without a place really to worship, right? And so they had synagogues and stuff, but their main place that Solomon built was on the Temple Mount. It's been destroyed since 70 A.D. This guy named the Antichrist is going to help them rebuild this temple right on the place where the original temple was built. Now, can I tell you today, folks, that there's already preparations being made for that to happen. So here we see... The Antichrist helped them build the temple. And then, three and a half years into the tribulation, he says, ah, just kidding. Literally, and he sets himself up, a statue of himself in the temple. Folks, how many know that's a huge, huge no-no? Because God said in the Old Testament, I am holy. There's no God but me. And so what he does, he sets himself up as God and to worship, they want, he commands them to worship him. From that time, chaos ensues. I mean, go read it. You're going to have to go read it for yourself. I mean, uh, blood up to the bridles, you know, the horse bridle. I mean, all, I mean the seven uh, trumpet judgments. It's going to be a horrible time. It is. And so, what's, why, do I, why do I share this with you? Because the good news is, he's coming back. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to reiterate, you're not going to have to go through this. 
You're going to be rescued from this. And then in the middle of the, of the tribulation, some, this, is, this is actually a question somebody asked. What about the two witnesses that are mentioned in the, in the book of Revelation? What about the 144,000? Now, I don't know if you know or not, but there's a lot of false religions out there that use the 144,000. You know, that's us. You know, that's what they say. The problem is they've grown past the 144,000. That's a problem. Right? But the, the good news is, and some of you may ask a question, can people get saved in the tribulation? And the answer is yes. And here's how we know. God's raising up two witnesses. And many, many scholars believe it's Elijah and Moses. Now, again, that's speculation. We don't know for sure. But the truth is, there are going to be two witnesses. And here's what's going to happen. They're going to share the gospel and people are going to get saved. There are going to be 144,000 Jews who share the gospel and people are going to get saved. And, and then there's no mention of the church sharing the gospel. Why? We're not here. So in our day, Jesus commissioned the church to share the gospel, to make disciples. Why in the world is he mentioning uh, the, the two witnesses and the 144,000 in the, in the tribulation and not the church? Why? Because the church is out of here. Are y'all with me? And so the, the Bible says that, that these two witnesses are going are gonna to witness and the Antichrist, it's going to make the Antichrist so mad that he's going to kill them both. And the good news is... God's going to resurrect them. Now, here's the, here's the kicker. So, think about this for a second. John is seeing these things 2,000 years ago. And he says this, that the whole world will see the two witnesses. Now, let me ask you a question. How is that possible for the whole world to see two witnesses? It's possible today. Everybody take out your phone. You may have heard of CNN or Fox News. Is it possible for the whole world to see an event take place? Absolutely it is. And I'm here to tell you, technology will be the reason or one of the ways that this happens, folks. God is orchestrating his return. He has orchestrated the last hundred years. Have you seen this? There's been an explosion in knowledge through the internet, through phones, through tablets, through computers. Do you realize all of this, folks, is working into Christ's plan to come back again? Amen? That should give you some... some Good news to take heart, that people are going to get saved. There's going to be people hear the gospel. And, and Jesus, remember, this is a revelation of Jesus, right? And so in that seven-year period, you're going to see Jesus as judge, as a righteous judge. Okay? Are you all with me? So this is event number three in our six. Are you all asleep? Okay. So number four in these events is the second coming of Christ. Now, there's a difference between what we said the rapture and the second coming. Because we're already with Jesus. Watch this. He's coming back a second time. And the Bible says he's going to come on the Mount of Olives. where he, You remember in Acts 1, where he, when he ascended, the angel said, he's coming back to this very spot. And there's a place in, I think it's in... Uh, I can't remember in the Old Testament where it describes him coming back, setting foot on the Mount of Olives where he left. Amen. And so, folks, the second coming of Christ is the moment where Jesus goes from being the judge to the conquering king. Are you glad he's the conquering king this morning? And I want you to see this when he returns. Let's read it. Revelation chapter 19. Watch this. I saw heaven standing open. And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called, everybody say that with me, faithful and true, with which he just, he, with justice he judges and wages war. Verse 12, his eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. This is the blood that he shed for you on the cross, Amen. 
And then it says his name is the word of God. Now, do you remember in the gospel of John, the same guy wrote a gospel. In the very first verse, what does it say? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And so he reiterates this title of Jesus. He is, I am the word. Amen. And then it says, the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Verse 15, coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. Now watch this in verse 16. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written. Say this with me. King of kings and Lord of lords. Can we stop right now and give praise to the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Is he worthy of our praise this morning? And so he's a, he's a just judge, but he's also a conquering king. Isn't that great today? Remember, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we have the church age. We have the rapture. We have the tribulation. We have the second coming. And then we have what is called the great white throne judgment. This is the last event in the, this whole book of Revelation. We've gone through all the chapters This is really serious, folks. Can I, can I tell you a joke real quick? Because we've been real serious up to this point, hadn't we? So these two, these two pastors, churches are across the street from each other. One's got a sign that says the end is near. The other one says um, the end is coming or something like that. Turn around. I think it's turn around. The end is coming. And so... This guy comes by, he's an agnostic, kind of. He's like, you guys are nothing but a bunch of fanatics. And so he goes zooming by the church, the two churches, and you hear him go, two pastors say, I guess we should have just said, hey, the bridge is out. (laughs) Okay. You'll get that. So the idea of the great white throne judgment is, uh, there's there's a promise in God's word that it says it's appointed unto man wants to die. You know, of course, if you guys were here when the rapture comes, we're not going to die. But we all are going to face, and it says after that, the judgment. So every person who has ever lived is going to stand before this just judge. What's his name? What's his name? Jesus. And you notice I said he's a just judge, right? Now, let me ask you a question. If you stood before a judge... And it, the evidence was overwhelming against you. I mean, it was, I mean, the evidence is like witnesses, circumstances. I mean, all of it, it's just like dead to rights. And the judge said, hey, never mind. You're off the hook. What would you say about that judge? You know what I would say? He's unjust. How many of you agree he would be unjust? Why? Because he's not giving consequences to the breaking of the command. Y'all, are y'all with me so far? Break, they break the law. So Jesus is a just judge. And the reason I say that is because, you know, there are going to be people who say, well, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think that I was a very bad person. I'm a good person. I don't kill anybody. I've never cheated on my taxes. And they're going to think, I'm okay. The problem is, folks, that's not true. There's deception out there that even, even most religions believe if I can just do something good, if I can do enough good, if I can help enough people that are homeless, or if I can give enough here and here and here and be kind to people, I, that's okay. Folks, that's not the gospel. That's not the, what the Bible teaches. And so there are going to be people who stand before a just judge, right? And they've made a decision. Here's the decision they've made. I'm going to pay for my own sins. Well, that's a problem. Because, well, let me just read it to you. You'll see this. Revelation, 
chapter 20. Watch this. Then I saw a great white throne, and, and him who was seated on it, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. Verse 12. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. So you, you see two separate things here? You see the books. The books are the deeds you and I have done in our lifetime. And some people believe, hey, I can be judged out of that book. Well, the problem is, if you try to be judged by that book, you're going to be found wanting. You're going to be in trouble. And so people say, well, I don't believe there's a hell. Well, there is a hell. The Bible talks about it a lot. And it's, it's not a place that you have to go. Can I give you some good news? You don't have to go to hell. Because here's the reality. Hell is not for us. It's, it's a place where people decide, I'm going to pay for my own sins. How I many you know it doesn't have to be that way? Because the book of life describes this. The moment that you say, Lord Jesus, I realize I've sinned against you. But I also realize that you came because of your love for me, and you died on the cross. You took my sin. And when you, when you did that, when you placed your faith, the Bible says your name is written in the book of life. Aren't you glad for that this morning? And so you have a choice today. You can either be judged by the books, your deeds, and pay for your own sins, or you can let Christ, who's already done it, Pay for your sins and receive eternal life. Amen? That's what the great white throne judgment represents. Grace and work versus works. I don't know about you folks. I choose grace. How many of you choose grace this morning? I choose the grace of God, the love of God. Because, again, this book is about a God who loves you, who went to great lengths to show he loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's good news today. So you don't have to pay for your own sins. You can just trust that Christ has already paid for them. It's that simple, folks. So that was the, that's the sixth event in the book of Revelation. I've just taken you through the whole book of Revelation. Did you realize that? So now what I'd like to do is we close this out. I want to talk to you about how, remember, the Bible says that we're a bride. Amen? The church of Jesus Christ is a bride. And so this picture of a wedding. Anybody been to a wedding lately? I went to, I did one last weekend. And so this picture is a picture of the bride making herself ready. Because remember what Jesus said, I am coming back. And what I want to do, I want you to be with me. So it's going to be a celebration. Are you looking forward to that celebration, folks? I am. And so what, what happens is Jesus gives us a picture of, of a bride that's made herself ready in those seven churches that we talked about. And I want to read to you these. I want to just kind of discover these seven and what they, how they help us. You know, it's almost like you and I are wedding coordinators, right? What does a wedding coordinator do? They help make preparations, right? They make sure there's the food's ready, you know, the, 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 the ceremony, all this stuff. They kind of pull everything together to make sure the, the wedding goes well. And so this is really our guide to help us. And so the first church in Revelations 2 is, is the church at... at uh, Philadelphia, right? I'm sorry, the church, I've got it wrong, my bad. Ephesus, excuse me. Philadelphia is later. The church at Ephesus. And so notice what he says. What does he say? Return to your first love. So what happens is, it's just like this, folks. When you first came to Christ, what were you like? You would witness to a flagpole, right? You would tell anybody who would listen about Jesus. And man, listen, they couldn't keep you away from church. You were at church every time the doors were open. You're in a group. You're serving somewhere. Why? Not because somebody told you you had to. Why? Because you love God. 
because your passionate love for God was burning in your heart, what happened? Over time, it wanes, doesn't it? It's just, it's just part of life, right? And so Jesus is, is giving us an invitation here. And let's just read it in the, in the, in the book of, of Revelation chapter 2. Watch this. Yet I hold this against you. In other words, he's commending them for, their, for what they're doing for Christ. But then he says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. And here's very strong words. I want to be honest with you. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent. Everybody say repent. That word has a negative connotation. Sometimes we haven't. But it simply means to change your mind. To change the direction you're going. That's simply all it means. And so what is he saying? Change direction. You lost your first, first love. Is it possible to gain it back again? Absolutely it is. And he says, do the first things you did at first. You know, you know. Dive into God's word. You know, maybe you've let prayer or, or all that stuff go because you fell out in love with Jesus. And he's saying, no, come back. Come back. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to come back. And this part here really challenges me. If, I, if you don't repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Wow. Powerful words, huh? And so, folks, this idea of lampstand really represents the Holy Spirit. So he's like, listen, let the Holy Spirit do this deep work inside of you, drawing you back to me. That's the first way we can prepare. Number two, the church at Smyrna. The church at Smyrna, what does he say? Remain faithful. Let's read this together. Remember, we're getting ready, right? We're a bride getting ready for return. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. So let me say this, folks. Even though God is going to rescue us from his wrath, he never promises to rescue us from persecution. Amen? And as I speak... There are people across the world today, if they tried to meet like you and I right now, they would be imprisoned or killed. Aren't you glad for freedom this morning? Can we celebrate the fact that we have freedom? We can come in this place without fear and worship Jesus. I'm glad for those who served in the military, right, who made this possible. But folks, I'm not sure if you're aware or not, but more and more hostility is growing against Christians. Is that true? In India alone, the, the nation of India, the prime minister of India has made a decision. He's made it his purpose to stamp out, to push out Christianity out of India. And because of that, Christian leaders, they're having to hide, they're having to be secret about their faith, and some of them have been killed over this. As a matter of fact, we, we serve, we help a, a school over there called the Jeevan School. You've heard us talk about it. Those kids, we teach them the gospel. I mean, we teach them writing and, and English and all that or whatever, their, their language. But then they hear the gospel. But what, they have to be so subtle about it because they're in danger. Has anybody recognized the growing hostility toward Christianity right here in America? It's obvious. And so, folks, here's the, here's the message. In the middle of all that, don't give up. In the middle of it, stay faithful. Everybody say that. Stay faithful. Folks, if you look in the Old Testament, you look in the New Testament, every person who followed God, who followed Jesus, they actually counted it a privilege to be persecuted. The early church, they said, we've been counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. Isn't that something? So, folks, I know in our, in our country it's hard because we've been so blessed. But the, the call is, if we're going to be a bride that's ready, what are we going to do? Persevere. Stay faithful. Amen? Church number three. Remember, we're, we're preparing for his return. It's Pergamum. This is a rejection of false doctrine. Let's read this together. Revelation 
2, verse 14 and 15. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Verse 15. Likewise, you have also uh, have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. And so, folks, um, the truth is, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, the gospel is clear. Christ came with a sinless life, died a cruel death on the cross, walked out of the tomb. There are those who will try to, to make it look a little different. They'll try to make it about more than just the gospel. And you have, really you have extremes, right? You have those who say, man, God's grace is sufficient. Just go and live however you want to. We call that hyper grace. Folks, that's not biblical. Now, the truth is, yes, you're saved by grace. But there's a change that happens when you place your faith in Christ. Amen? The grace and the truth are married, right? This is what Jesus lived out. He said that the Bible says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. So this way out here, live however you want to, the grace of God covers it all, that's false. God calls us to live for him, does he not? And then what we have is the pendulum swing way over here to where, oh, if you'll just do this and this and this, if you don't do this, this, and this, you're holy before God. What's wrong with that? It makes it about what you do. And that's not the gospel either. So what's the balance? The balance is... Christ came, gave you grace to be, have salvation, but it's the truth of God that sets you free. It's the truth of God that transforms you because the ultimate goal, folks, of Christianity is to be like Jesus. Amen? And so I accept him by faith, and then he transforms me by his truth. You see how we, can, we need to avoid the extremes? And the truth is, those kind of doctrines begin to penetrate, even now in our churches. I had to deal with that right here in this local body a few years ago, where there was an extreme starting to emerge. And we dealt with, we tried to do the best we could. We did Matthew 18, we met with them in private, and we, we did everything we could. But it finally got to the place, I had to say, because, listen folks, I'm going to stand before God for how I've led this church. And so I had to deal with it. It wasn't fun. It wasn't pleasant. But folks, I had the responsibility to guard this place from false doctrine. Amen. So folks, what's the call? Reject it, but lean on the truth. How do you know the truth? You got to open it up. Remember, his word is true. It's, he's the word made flesh. And so... Let's reject that. Let's say, no, this is, this is the gospel. We'll embrace the gospel. We'll live for Jesus. We'll be examples for Christ. Does that help anybody today? Remember, he's revealing himself to you. We're making ourselves ready because what did he promise? He's coming back. Here's the next one, number four. Is this helping anybody today? Some of you, Okay. The other one is remove impurity. So here, here this is going to be, this, this, there's some tough stuff in here, folks. And I'm not, I'm not going to try to deny it. It's, there's some tough teaching, right? But it's my responsibility to show you. So watch this. Uh, Revelation chapter 3. I'm sorry, it's 2 verse 20. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet, but by her teaching she misleads my servant into What? Sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. So, folks, we live in a sexually saturated society, do we not? And the, the challenge for us as a, as a church is to how do we, in love, declare truth about what God's Word says about sexuality. When Jesus dealt with, with this in the, book of, in the New Testament... He talked about sexual immorality. Well, it involves all kinds of sexual immorality, folks. 
It involves adultery. It involves sex outside of marriage, fornication. All these, it, it involves same-sex relationships. Folks, it's, it's clear what the Bible teaches about sexual immorality. And Jesus is saying, let's make sure that we stay pure before God. Amen? Oh, boy, that got like one or two. But how we deal with this, folks, is not out of judgment. Remember, grace. What was it? Grace. Truth. How did Jesus deal with the woman caught in adultery? What was the first thing he did? Listen, if anybody had the right to stone that lady, because remember, the law said anybody caught in adultery had to be stoned to death. That's what the law said. And remember, he's God in the flesh, so he's a just judge. If anybody had the right to stone her, he did. Amen? But what was his choice? He chose grace. He said, where are your accusers? Where are those who want to condemn you? They all left, right? And he said, neither do I. What did he do at that moment? He showed her grace. Folks, that's what we have to do with people who are, who are struggling with sexual immorality of any kind. What do we do? Help me here. What do we do? We show them grace. I like to say it this way. Jesus meets you where you are. Right? But he loves you too much to keep you where you are. So what was the next thing he said to the woman at the well, at the call in adultery? Go and sin no more. In other words, leave that lifestyle. And so here's the beauty of this church, folks. I don't, I can't speak for most, a lot of other churches, but our church, we embrace this idea. You come in with your struggles. You come in with the things that you're dealing with, whatever it is, and we'll, you know, we'll love you right where you are. We will not judge you right where you are. Amen? We'll, we'll extend grace to you. But here's the thing. We have an opportunity to say, there's more for you. There's better for you. That's why God put the boundaries in place to begin with, because he wants you to live a full life. And so we'll show you the way through the scriptures to get healing and get whole. Amen. To get free. Because there's God's way of sexuality. Is there not? Think about it. The reason for sexuality, and I, I didn't mean to go this long on this, but in the beginning, what did he do? He created male and female. For what reason? He said, be fruitful and multiply. That's the number one reason. Number two, they, they enjoyed it. And so inside the marriage covenant between one man and one woman, sex is a great thing. But outside of it, outside the boundaries, what is it? It's a sin. Let's just call it what it is. And it doesn't matter whatever it is. If it's homosexual, if it's adultery, if it's fornication, it's all the same. Amen? Okay, do y'all still love your pastor today? What's the deal? What's the deal? What's the deal? We're getting, it's a bride who's making herself ready for his return. Amen. Okay, I'll move on because I think I belabored that a little bit. Okay. So, number six. Oh, no, excuse me, number five. Sorry, we're going to deal with this more later, but he calls them to renew their purpose. What God's called you to do while you're on planet earth. And so we'll deal with that in the coming weeks. Number six, Philadelphia. Watch this. He calls us to revere the word of God. And I want to read this. Let's read this together. Revelations 3.8. I know your deeds. See how I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept. Everybody say that with me. Kept my word and have not de denied my name. And so he's given them. This is the only church that he didn't give some kind of. He didn't judge them. He didn't say, hey, I, I got this against you. No, he said, I'm commending you. And what does, he, what does he point to? Keep my word. So, folks, what's the challenge for you and I? As a church, we, one of our values is we're grounded on the word. 
So the idea here is let's place a high value on Scripture. Amen? How many love God's Word? I love His Word, and I want you to love it too, because it's in His Word that we learn that God loves us. Amen? It's in His Word that we learn we were created in His image. It's in His Word that we learn that God has a plan and a purpose for us. He knit me together in my mother's womb. It's in His Word that we read that Jesus put on flesh and died on the cross and walked out of the tomb. Amen? It's in His Word that we read He's coming back again. How many of you love His Word? So he, he's calling a church that gets back to loving the Word of God. And I realize it's under attack all the time. But folks, you will not find a more credible document than the New, especially the New Testament. Go, go read it. Go look at it. Go study it. It is credible, folks. And I've already said, all the prophecies about Jesus came true. We, see, we continue to see the prophecies come true, and I promise you, all of them will come to pass one day. Amen. Do you love his word? Okay. Last one. Number seven. This is, this is a hard one, too. The church at Laodicea. The church that's lukewarm. I believe that's the American church. I do. I'm not saying all of them. I'm, I'm kind of categorizing it all. There are some churches that are on fire. I believe we're a church that loves Jesus. Do you? Don't you? But as a whole, I feel like the American church may be this, described in this last little bit here. Let's read it together. I know your deeds that you are neither hot, cold nor hot. I wish you were either one, right? One or the other. I know your deeds. Next one. So because you are lukewarm. Everybody say lukewarm. Neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. One translation literally says vomit. That's strong words, isn't it? You say I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Oh, my goodness. We've been blessed as a nation, haven't we? Is anybody thankful for God's blessing on us? But if we're not careful, it kind of desensitizes us to the fact that God's the one who gave it to us in the first place. Right? The tendency is to begin to take credit for it. Well, in the American way, almost the American dream does that. You know, I worked hard for my money. She works hard for... No, okay, okay, never mind. Right? We begin to take credit for it when, when truthfully it's the blessing of God on our lives. And when we forget that it's God who gives us the blessing, we begin to take credit. And then the blind spots begin to emerge. And we don't realize that we're not really rich. We're actually wretched and poor because we have strayed away from acknowledging the goodness of God. Amen? What's he doing? He's calling us back. He's not, he's not shaking his fist at you and saying, oh, no. Here's what it is. It's an invitation. Remember, return to, my, return to your first love. It's, I want to have a relationship with you. But you've, you've wandered. You've strayed. And it's a callback because, I'm, folks, I'm not sure that you and I are not, the church itself is not ready for the return of Jesus, are we? Can we be? What's our response? Number one, folks, let's fall in love with Jesus again. How many of you want to fall in love with Jesus over again, over and over again? Number two, don't give up. When it starts getting hard, when that person on your job starts making fun of you because you're a Christian, don't give up. Stay faithful. Amen? Number three, don't get sucked into this false teaching. Understand the balance of the gospel. Yes, it's grace, but there's also truth. It's grace and truth that helps us live and be like Jesus. Amen? Next one. Keep your heart right, right? Get it right. Commit yourself to purity. 
even in, a, in a, an age that's saturated with sexual impurity, keep your heart right. Listen, if you're struggling with some stuff, get, get people, surround people, get people around you that can help you, that can love you and say, hey, I'm going to hold you accountable. Amen. Keep your purpose front and center. Be grounded on the word. Love, consume. And not just love and consume, but what does it say? Let's live it out. Live out God's word. And then lastly, ask the Holy Spirit to fan into flame your passion for Jesus once again. So here's my question before we respond to this message. Is there anything in your heart right now that you would say, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm just, but I'm, I'm not sure I'm ready as a bride coming back, right? Is there something in your heart today that keeps you from this intimate, close relationship with Jesus? I'll ask you a question. Do you have the courage to do that inward search? Or let me, let me phrase it a different way. Do you have the, the courage to allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart? Amen. And when you do, here's the invitation. I love this because here's what Jesus said. After all of that, he says, Behold, I stand at the door. What is he doing? He's knocking on the door of your heart. And it's not a voice of judgment, is it? What does he say? If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, what does he promise? I'm going to come in and just lay, lay you out because of how you acted. What does he say? No. We're going to have a meal together. We're going to sit down and have a conversation because that's the invitation. Every bit of the book of Revelation is an invitation to know Jesus. Thank you for joining us for this week's service. We pray that God has used this moment to greatly impact your life. We invite you to live fully alive in Christ with us here at Full Life Church. We'll see you next week.